0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online, we are so thankful that you're here. I was saying some uh, something to our greeters out this morning. I said, man, today is you get extra credit if you come to church today because of all the rain and the... Man, today was a cold, rainy day, and it is so good uh, to have you here. You know what? There's actually two people in our church right now. You could pray for them because they're running a marathon in Sacramento right now. So we have two people in our small group that have been training and uh, are running a marathon, the marathon there in Sacramento. And so as you're warming here and drinking your hot cocoa and your coffee... There's uh, two friends that are running and having a good time, I'm sure, uh, running in the marathon. And so uh, this next week is a really, really big week for our church. Uh, We've had uh, over the last three and a half, four years since we started, we've had a few seasons in our church that have just been kind of monumental, uh, big seasons for our church. It's just a young church. And this next Sunday is one of those. Uh, for those of you that are maybe new or you haven't heard, uh, our churches over this next season, we're moving towards two really big goals that we feel led by God to move towards. Uh, we've laid them out. We've laid them out several ways and through through videos and through websites and all that over the last few weeks. And, and really just ask those people that call City Walk Home to just be praying. And the two goals, and you know this if you've been around, is we're going to be planting another church in Marysville in February of 2024. And then the second goal that we're moving towards is we want to put ourselves in a position to secure a permanent location uh, for our church here in Yuba City. We rent this space. And so this next week, uh, we've set aside next Sunday as, we call it Commitment and First Gift Sunday where many of us as families and individuals have been praying and just asking God, God, over this next two years, what can we as a family or I as an individual give above and beyond my normal giving towards this People Must Know campaign? And next Sunday is that Sunday where we're going to do that. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to go to our website and click on People Must Know, go there and find out more information this Wednesday night, uh, we're offering a, a question and answer time. If you're like, man, I've, I've been around, I've missed a few weeks because of the holidays, and I have some questions, we're going to host a Q&A time on Wednesday evening at 630 in the fellowship hall. And so whether there's one person or 50 people, any question you have, we're going to answer that for you. But would you pray with me over these next few days? as we as a church really step out of the boat in a really big way uh, towards these couple things. And so I want to actually pray for us right now, and then we'll delve into our new series. Lord, I am so thankful for this gathering, and Lord, so thankful for what you're doing among us. Lord, we're thankful for our children what they even today have already ministered to our hearts. Lord, we're thankful for the people that got here early this morning and set up before uh, anyone else got here. Lord, we're thankful for people that are willing to stand out in the rain with an umbrella and greet people just so that, man, just to make this place a, a place where people can come and hear about you and And Lord, in this next few days, we're stepping out again as a church, and we're moving towards two things that we feel led by you to move towards. And God, there are two things that, man, we don't have all the answers for yet. Lord, we don't know how you're going to provide, but God, we believe you're going to provide because you always provide for what you have called us to do. And so, God, I pray that you would give each family, each individual that calls City Walk Home, wisdom and sensitivity to you as they prayerfully consider what their part needs to be in this next season. And God, we're trusting that you will do above and beyond what we could ask, think, or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. This past week, probably for you, or maybe maybe even a, uh, a week or two ago, probably you have uh, sent, if you're married, you've sent your husband up into the attic uh, or maybe you're the person and, and you actually went up there and because he wouldn't go up there and you went up there and got the, you, you went and you, you got some boxes. There were some boxes that you've put up there about 11 months ago and you pulled those boxes down and and you started to, you know, unpack the lights and you, you brought the strand out to find out, all right, which lights have blown out since last year? What are we going to have to replace? And and you have probably at your home, your home has started to transform a little bit. And there's a there's a tree there probably now where where you you probably every year put the tree in the same place. And so you've probably gotten a tree and you've decorated it, and and maybe even you've like you're one of those people that man goes all out and you got a a frosty the snowman in in the front yard and a manger scene and you've got lights up on the house and. And, and probably, and especially if you have kids or grandkids, this next two weeks, three weeks is torture for those. Because here's what you and I have done. We did this to our kid last night. We, we, we took where that tree is and we started to put some gifts under it. And my daughter last night, she could barely handle it. Like that there were gifts under there and she's asking all these questions and, and it's torture for little kids. And it probably, if you have a devious little kid like I was, they're going to sneak a few shakes for sure this next few weeks. And if they're really devious, they might sneak a tear. You know, you you know, some of you are like, yeah, oh yeah, I did that. I rewrap presents for my mom because I wanted to see what was in there. They're going to sneak a tear and and they're going to want to see, they're going to try to find out, man, what's in that package that has my name on it under the tree. And and you're going to do your best to, you know, hold them off as best you can. And, but man, it's tough. And then Christmas Eve comes, the hardest night in the year to sleep. I remember as a little kid, my mom and dad, because we were ridiculous. I grew up with three boys. And uh, there was one year we woke them up at like two in the morning. We're like, technically it's the next day. And so let's get up and open it. So they just, after that year, they set a rule. And it, the rule was, you can't knock on our door till six o'clock in the morning. So we, as three boys, we'd get up and watch every Rocky that was available. This is back in the 90s, so not all of them were available that are available today. You know, all the things, like, how do we get this time to pass? And then at 5.59, we're literally at our mom's door. And dad, like, as soon as it turns six, we're, we're going to open that door. And whether they like it or not, it's time to get up. And I remember one year, we were kind of a middle-class family. and There were some years that were tighter than others. But my family, I remember... My parents, whether it was a tight year or whether it was a really good year financially, they they always tried to just make it special, and they tried to provide surprises for us. And I remember one year, probably the one that stands out to me the most, is I was in middle school, and man, we did the deal. We were up early in the morning, me and the brothers, and then, you know, six o'clock, get mom and dad out of bed, and they're coming in, and And uh, we open up all of our presents, and Dad, you know, reads the Christmas story, kind of does the traditions that we normally do on a Christmas morning. And then, and we grew up in Florida, so take that into consideration. Dad says, hey, guys, head into the garage real quick and grab me some firewood for the fireplace, you know, that we used twice a year when we turned the air down really a lot so we could use it. And so we probably did that. That day, turned the air down to 40 so we could use our fireplace. And so we not even thinking anything of it we walk into the garage and we open up the, gr- the door to the garage and there's brand new bikes in the garage and man i remember as a little it had already been a pretty good christmas with the stuff we had opened so i wasn't expecting anything else but it was one of those times, and I've had a few of them in my life, where, man, I was really surprised, totally unexpected. And I remember had one of those old school red 10 speeds that are super uncomfortable to ride. But, man, I was surprised and thrilled. And my brothers, there was bikes for them. And it was, it was really a, a surprise, very special. And part of what makes Christmas so special is surprises. And you know that. You can't wait to see the look on your daughter, your son, your aunt, your uncle. You can't wait to see the look on their face when they open that package from you. And and, and surprises are a big part of what makes Christmas so special. And all the way back to, honestly, the very first Christmas. I mean, traditions have changed over the last 2,000 years around Christmas, but what hasn't changed is that surprises have always been a big part of Christmas. And if you were to go back all the way to the very first Christmas, the guy that probably had the biggest surprise was a guy by the name of Joseph. And if you don't know much about kind of the, the Christmas story, you, you've probably heard about this guy at least. His name's Joseph. And, and Joseph finds out that Mary, his fiance, is pregnant. And Joseph isn't an idiot, he and Mary haven't done anything together that would cause her to be pregnant. So he's wondering like, how is my fiance pregnant? This was a pretty big surprise to him. And because Joseph was an honorable guy, because Joseph didn't want to humiliate Mary, even though he was very caught off guard, I'm sure. And I'm sure he was very disappointed what he was going to do is he's like, hey, I'm going to just kind of quietly make this thing go away and we'll quietly kind of end this relationship. It won't humiliate or hurt Mary, but obviously my fiance's pregnant, so I'm not the dad. So you know what? We're probably not going to move forward with this. But then at Joseph, he, he has this angel come to him in a dream and this angel comes to Joseph and says, Hey, Joseph, hey, buddy, don't be afraid. In fact, Joseph, I want you to move forward with marrying this lady named Mary. I want you to do that. I want you to do this because all that's happened, this, this birth and this pregnancy, all of this is actually part of what God had planned from a long time ago. And, and the angel actually says this to him in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. The angel says, now all this took place, this this whole thing with Mary becoming pregnant, Joseph, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And the prophet he's talking about is Isaiah, because this was written about hundreds of years earlier. And then verse 23, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So so Joseph, all that's happening right now, this is actually something that was written about hundreds of years earlier. So I want you to move forward with getting married. I want you to move forward with this whole thing because this is actually, it's actually making something happen that Isaiah talked about a long time ago. So move forward with it. And for Joseph, this was either really good news or really bad news. Just like this this news is really good news for the people that lived in Joseph's day, or it was really bad news. Just like today, now 2,000 years later, this announcement of this Emmanuel, God with us that's coming to earth, is either great news or it's horrible news. And whether it's great news and whether, or whether it's horrible news all comes down to one question. And here's the question, who is God? Whether God with us makes you excited or makes you nervous comes down to this question, who is God? See, you're about to experience this with some of your family in a similar way. And here's what I mean. If I was to say to you, hey, grandma and grandpa are going to come and stay at your house for a week during Christmas. For some of you, that's awesome news. For some of you, you're already getting nervous. You would dread that. If I say, hey, aunt so-and-so and and uncle so-and-so are going to come and spend a week with you. For some of you, you're like, oh, we can't wait. For others of you, you're like, oh man, how can we get out of that one? And it all comes down to, hey, who is grandma? Who is grandpa? What are they like? And according to what they're like and who they really are, that's either really good news that they're coming to stay with you, or it's, hey, we just got to get through it without killing everybody. That that, kind of news. And in the same way, this idea that God is with us, that God is coming to live with us, is either great news or it's horrible news, all according to who God really is. See, there's a lot of different versions, I guess, of of God that people have in their mind based on maybe what you were taught or how you were brought up. For some, maybe you're watching online, maybe you would say, as you think of God, you kind of look at God as like a principle. Like the principle that's there to make sure you follow all the rules. And for you, based on how you were grew up, kind of grew up, or what you were taught, maybe this is—if you're honest, this is how you see God. And you see God as kind of the the guy that's there to just make sure you check all the right boxes and you don't step out of line too much, and and that's that's who God is. Maybe for you, you would say, "No, that's not really how I see God." But but maybe you would say, "I kind of see God more like the cosmic vending machine." It's the, the, the God that, man, if I, if I put the right amount in and push the right button, he's going to give me exactly what I need. It's more of a transactional relationship. Like, I'll check these boxes for you, God, and you do this for me. It's a great relationship, and maybe that's how you see it. And, and, and again, that's maybe no one probably said, oh, God's like a cosmic vending machine, but based on how you were taught and how you were brought up, Maybe that's what you like. All right, if I read my Bible today and I don't say too many cuss words and I, I do this and I do this, then God's going to do this for me and do this for me. And it's, it's a good transactional relationship. Or maybe, and I hope you don't see God like this, but, but you, some of us probably do. You, you may see God kind of like you, the whack-a-mole arcade game that you played when you were a little kid. Like God is just waiting for you to stick your head out of the hole so he can smash you. And, and if you're honest, you're like, yeah, so honestly, sometimes I think that about God, that he's, he's kind of out there just, just waiting for me to step out of line just a little bit. And he's going to come down like a preschool kid who wants to win tickets to get some cheap prize at the arcade prize thing. And he's there just ready to hit me as soon as I stick my head out of the, out of the hole. And whether you think of God this way, or whether you have different versions of God, if we're all honest, even if you didn't grow up in church or whether you went to church every Sunday since you've been alive, every single one of us at different seasons have viewed God God inaccurately. In fact, it's one of the enemy's strategies. It's one of Satan's strategies is to get you and I to look at God differently, to have an inaccurate view of God. Because how we view God affects obviously our relationship with Him, but it also affects our relationship with other people. And so the enemy, one of His tactics, is for us to, to have a different view of God than was what is accurate. And here's here's the thing, and maybe you haven't thought of it this way. It's important for ourselves, but it's also important for those of those who we really love. That we see God for who he really is. Like the way you see God affects your kids. Kids, the way you see God affects your parents. Grandma, the way you see God affects the generations that follow you. Like the way we see God has a huge effect on the people that we love and care for the most. And so it's important that we see God for who he really is. And over these next few weeks, as we lead up to Christmas, we're going to look at, man, who is God? And today we're going to start with this idea that God is sovereign. When you think of the word sovereign, usually you think of a king or a queen, someone who's like a supreme ruler who has power and authority. That's If you look up sovereign, that's probably some of the definition that you're going to find. But if you were to think about God as as kind of, what does it look like for God to be sovereign? Basically, what it means is God is in control. God is in control. So God is in control. That means that God's never helpless. God's never surprised. He's never at a loss. He's never, God never gets nervous. He, He never goes, whoops. Like God is in control. God is sovereign. And there's a story in the Old Testament that, that really shows God's sovereignty and his control may be better than any other story that I can think of. And it's found in Daniel chapter 3. And whether you grew up in church or not, you probably heard about a guy by the name of Daniel. And you may have heard of his three buddies that kind of had weird names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these four guys, just to give you a quick background, they, are, they, they grew up kind of around Jerusalem. They're Jewish guys. And about the time they're, they're getting out of middle school into high school, all of a sudden this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, comes to their country and basically lays a smackdown on their whole country. He, he, take, he like kills a bunch of people. He, he ruins the place. But what he does do is he, he takes some of the sharpest young men from that country... He takes them with him back to Babylon. And his goal is to take the sharpest Jewish boys that he can find, kind of brainwash them into thinking like he and his government does. And then after a a few years of training and brainwashing, he puts them into influential positions and basically puts them to work in his kingdom. And so that's exactly what happened. And Daniel and, and his three buddies... They're the, they're the guys that out of all those boys that are taken and, and that are kind of in this group, they actually stand out the most. And they, they are given very influential roles in this kingdom. And a few years pass, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, he must have been feeling a little bit insecure about his life and about who he was. Because we pick up in, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 several years after these boys are now in positions of authority in this country that they were captured uh, from when they were captured. And so it says this in Daniel chapter three, verse one, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and nine feet wide. So this is like a super insecure king who's making a huge statue of himself. And and, and here's what, what it says. He set it up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. And basically he invited, probably kind of made, all the important people in his kingdom. Hey, come to the dedication of my statue of me. And so he gets all of his rulers and all the people in authority, he, he gets them all around this statue for its dedication. And then he, he, they say this, it says this in verse four, a herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. So he gathers all the, all the guys. He, he has them all there and he Hey, look at my statue. Are you guys impressed with my statue? Hey guys, when the band starts to play, just know wherever you're at in our whole country, when you hear the music, this isn't like musical chairs, but you do have to do something. And here's what you have to do. When you hear the music play, wherever you're at, stop what you're doing and bow down to my statue. And if you decide that you don't want to do that, no problem. We're just going to throw you in a fiery furnace. So you choose. And so that's, I mean, like I said, pretty insecure dude. He, he needs you to bow down to his statue or he's going to kill you by, in a very painful way. And that's what he says. And so there were some tattletailers in the kingdom that weren't big fans of Jewish boys. And so these tattletailers, say, go to the king and they have some news for the king. Verse 12, we find out their news. It says this, there are some Jews, king that you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you. Ouch. <clears throat> the king, they do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So, okay, king, just here for you, just trying to help you out. Don't know if you know this, but some of your boys, the, you know, the, the three, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego... I don't know if you know this, but they're actually ignoring your whole bow down to the statue thing. And I don't, I mean, we're here for you. So I just wanted to let you know that they're actually ignoring that. And so the king, it says this in verse 13, then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And so, man, they're they're brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar he asks Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, "Is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up?" Basically, King Nebuchadnezzar says, "Hey, guys, I like you. You're actually some of my favorites." And so, there are obviously some misunderstanding here. So are you guys not worshiping my gods? And is it true that you're not like bowing down to my, my statue? And, and and so he's kind of giving them a, hopefully giving them a second chance and like, hey, let's, can y'all, can we just get this worked out? And, And, and then he says something that is a pretty arrogant, pretty arrogant statement. He says this, and who is the God who can rescue you from my power? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here's what they say back to the king. So this is the most powerful man in their universe that has the power to right now put us in a fiery furnace and be done with us. And he's just said, hey, is it true that you're not bowing down to my statue? And here's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. They say, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question probably not what he was expecting to hear. Basically what they're saying is, you know what, we don't need to defend ourselves. We don't need to manipulate this situation to make us look better. They say this in verse 17, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Basically, they look at this guy, this king, that is, has the power to kill them immediately. And they say, you know what? Our God is in control. Our God knows best. And even if this ends bad for us, We trust that our God's plan is good, and we're okay with that. As you can imagine, this is not what the king was expecting to hear. And so the king, he he responds in a way that you would expect him to respond. It says this in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar filled with rage. And it's so much so, and I like the the writer, the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I mean, you've been in the room when you tick somebody off, and they can no longer pretend to be nice to you. Like, Like we all have people like that in our life. It's like, they do such a good job for a while, but then you push them over the edge just enough, and it's like, They can't even pretend to be your friend or or like you or be nice. Like it just, the rage is so huge in their heart that it's just, they can't help it now. That's where the king is. He's pretended to like, hey, let's work this thing out. But now they basically have looked at him and said, King, we're not doing it your way. You're not our God. You're not sovereign. We have a God that's bigger than you. We trust him. We don't care what you'll do to us we're still going to obey our God. That bothered him. So he gets pretty fired up. It says this, he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. So he's like, I don't, I don't want to just like fry you. Like I want to like seven times fry you. Uh, So I'm going to make this even worse for you. And it says this, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And this is is so interesting to me. Verse 22, since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the king, has, he was so mad, he's lost it. He's like, just fire the thing up seven times, get our best guys, tie these boys up, and throw them in. And you don't disobey the king. So that's exactly what his best guys, they grab Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this picture, I can't even imagine this. The fire is so hot and it's raging like so strongly that the guys that are just the soldiers throwing them in actually die because of the heat and the raging fire. And so they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into this fiery furnace. They're tied up. And and at this point, man, it should be over. I mean, the the dudes that that threw them in died. So of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be fried quickly. But that's not what happened. It says this in verse 23, and these three men, they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. So interesting, they, these other guys died like before they even got through these guys in, but now these three guys, they get thrown in, hands tied up, should be over, right? But something happens. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He, he said to his, his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Like, like was I so mad that I messed this up? Like, like, I think I remember us tying up three dudes and throwing three guys into the fire. Am I correct? And they say, yes, of course. Your majesty, they replied to the king, he exclaimed, look, I see four men and they're not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So we threw three boys in there. They were tied up. They should have died immediately. And as I look in there, not only are they not tied up, not only are there, there's only, now I see actually four people. They don't look like they're even, like they're not even like making s'mores in there. It's not even hot to them. Like, what is this? And, and this fourth one looks different. He, he looks like a God of some sort. And as you, you read through commentaries, this is either an angel or most people think this is Jesus Christ that is in the fire walking around with these three guys. And this, this king who was so about himself and so proud, he sees this and he, I mean, he, he can't lie. I mean, he's, he's seeing something that's blowing his mind. And, and so King Nebuchadnezzar, he calls the men out of the furnace That The three men that he threw in, they came out. Not even a hair on their head was burnt. They didn't even smell like smoke. And he's he's just astonished, as you would be and as I would be. These three guys come out. They're not even warm. There's no hair on their head that's burnt. They don't even smell like smoke. Like, Like, what's going on? And Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, he says this. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. And here's the thing. They trusted in him before they knew the outcome. Trusted in him. And and he goes on and he says this. They violated the king's command. They risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their god. Therefore, in verse 29, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb. And his house made a garbage dump. This is a pretty like, he doesn't take things lightly, this king. He's like, no, we're not going to slap you on the hand. We're just going to tear you limb from limb and make your house a garbage dump. If you say anything bad about these guys, God. And then he says this, for there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. He says, this, this God is different There's no, and they worshiped all kinds of different gods. And and even Nebuchadnezzar, a guy that that, that didn't understand all the theology, he didn't really understand who God was yet. But but even he, as he looked at what happened, he said, There is no God like their God. There's no other God that could do what I just watched their God do. And it, it blew the king's mind away. I mean, it just blew it away. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they, knew, they knew that their God was in control and it gave them confidence and peace to walk into a very challenging circumstance. A circumstance that they, they said right up front, whether we die or whether we live, it doesn't change what we think of our God. Whether this thing ends the way we want it to or it ends the way you want it to, we still trust that our God is in control and He is good and His way is best. He's sovereign. See, God was not caught off guard when Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and captured these boys. God, He wasn't caught off guard when Nebuchadnezzar build a statue and commanded everyone in his kingdom to bow down to it. God didn't get nervous when the boys got caught not bowing down to the the statue. It wasn't like God was like, oh, great. I thought I told you guys to hide better. What are you doing? Now, Now look what you got me into. He wasn't nervous. God didn't get scared or worried when the furnace was turned up seven times. See, God was and is always in control. And and for some, if we're honest, we don't know how we feel about that. Like, if if God is really in control, if he is really sovereign, then I'm not sure how I feel about that. Because if, if that's true... then then that means that when you face some challenging circumstances in your life, just like I've faced them in my life, it means that God has either orchestrated or allowed everything to happen if he's really in control. So those challenging circumstances, that tragedy, that thing that you wish would have never happened and you would not wish on your enemy... If God is truly in control, if he's truly sovereign, that means he either orchestrated or permitted that to happen. And if you're honest, it might be why some of you have never totally bought into the Jesus thing. It might be why some of you have maybe just, you've dipped your foot in a little bit, but you've never totally embraced it because you can't wrap your mind around that and you're not sure if you can trust a God who allowed or orchestrated that to happen in your life and I get it we've all asked those questions and usually the fact that God is in control will lead us or can lead us one of two ways And I'm guessing every single person that's listening, whether you're online or you're here, you've asked some questions like that. Like, God, if you're real, how would you allow this? How would you permit this? How would you work? Why would you do that? And the fact that God is in control, that he is sovereign, can lead us to one of two places. And we probably have people that are listening today that are in both of these places, the first place is it can, it can lead to bitterness. It can lead to a place where we say, you know what? I don't like what's happening in my life. Things are not going the way I wanted them to be. And because I don't understand how this is all working, because I don't understand why God would allow this, I don't trust him. And for you, if you're honest, you, you've started to almost get bitter towards God. And maybe you say, man, yes, I've been there or I am there. Maybe you're watching online and you're going through something and and, and you're not sure why God would allow this, why he would permit this. And, And if you're not careful, you've begun to move to a place where you say, you know what, God, I don't trust you. And in fact, I'm getting a little bit bitter in my heart towards you. But then there's a second place. And I think this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were they were at a place of peace. Through the ups and downs of life, we can have peace because we know that God is in control. It doesn't mean I understand. doesn't even mean I always like what's going on in my life. But I trust you. Last night, I was watching a 15-minute interview with Toby Mack. And it was, I wasn't planning on watching it, but it, it just it showed up in my feed, and I, I turned it on. And, and Toby Mac's son, if you follow Toby Mac's music, his son at 21 years old overdosed with a drug and, and died. And it's about, been about two or three years since this happened. And, and Toby said, I mean, he was just so transparent and so raw in this interview. And he just talked about how, how man, days, it was, things were up and down. But that he knew even at his son's funeral, and as he was trying to just just work through this, he, he knew that as ugly as this was, and as tragic as this was, and as much hurt as this, this was causing him then and was is still causing him every day, his words were you know what? I, I trust God. I trust God, even on the days where, man, I'm... And he said, I literally think about my son every minute of every day. And he said, that's not even a joke, every second. But I trust God, and I'm thankful for the 21 years that God gave me with him. And I was like, dude, I don't know if I could say that. But it was a good example of someone who's gone, gone through probably maybe the worst thing someone could go through, losing their kid. And yet he was able to say, yes, it hurts. Yes, I think about my son every single day. But I know that God's way is best. And he said this. He said, I imagine my son up in heaven saying to me, Dad, if you could see the whole picture... It makes you feel better. Dad, you, you only see part of it, but I, I get, I'm seeing a bigger picture now. And it was just such an, just a powerful testimony of a, a dad that's going through a really tough time who could easily be bitter and people would be like, hey, dude, I get it. But yet in the midst of this tough time, he has peace through the ups and downs of life. And one of the passages that helps us with this is this Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. It says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God. And your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And it's, it's, a, it's just an honest verse of, hey, you know what? I don't understand everything because, my, man, my God is much bigger than me. And if I could understand everything, my God wouldn't be very big. And, and God says, my thoughts, bigger than your thoughts. I see what you can't see. My ways are bigger than your ways. I see what you, you can't see. But I'm just calling you to trust me because I am sovereign. I'm in control. There's a lady that you may have heard of. Her name is Joni Erickson Tata. And I remember I followed her even from a little kid. My mom, she she listened to her. And and in 1967, Joni, at the age of 17, was left paralyzed from a diving accident. And so as a 17-year-old kid who has all their life in front of them, you can imagine that in those moments... There were probably some moments for Joni that she said, you know what, God, why? God, I don't understand. But there was a a moment in her story that she decided, though she didn't understand, though she would have maybe changed what happened that day, that her God was in control. Her God knows best. And so she decided, I'm going to use this not as a tragedy, but as a testimony. And so in 1974, God opened the door for her to share her story on the Today Show. In 1979, a movie about her life was released, and over 250,000 people followed Jesus after they saw that movie. Fast forward to 2019, Joni was celebrating 40 years in her ministry. Over those 40 years, she's worked with three presidents to help them help people with disabilities. She's spoken to millions of people through the radio and is a constant picture of hope to the world. And over the years, she said a lot of of great things, a lot of great statements. But there's one statement that she says that I want to just share with you to wrap up this morning, and it's simply this. This is from Joni's words. Sometimes God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Let me read that again. Sometimes God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. This Christmas, as we move through this season and we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, do we really know who that God is? And if we do, If we we really know who that God is, one of the things we'll know about him is that he is a God who is in control. And here's what this won't do. That statement won't heal you of cancer. That statement won't bring back the person that you lost, that you loved dearly. That statement won't fix... A lot of things that you look back on your life and say, oh, that was a tough time. But here's what this statement will do, and here's what this truth will do. The same thing it did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The same thing it's done for Joni. The same thing it's done for Toby Mac. It will give us peace and purpose and rest in the midst of the storm. Because we know our God is in control. And we can rest, as hard as that sounds. We can rest because God is sovereign. God is in control. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we close up this kind of first message in a series we're going to do over these next few weeks, just a learning about this God we celebrate. Maybe you're here, you're watching online and you would say, hey Chris, there was a point in my life when I've made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe it was when you were younger, maybe it's been decades, maybe it's the last few weeks, but there was a point in your life where you said, yes, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to follow Him. And at some point, maybe in your life, just like me, you have found it easier to trust God with your eternity Then you can to trust him with just the normal day-to-day stuff. Maybe you're having trouble even right now, trusting that God is in control. Maybe you live with fear. Maybe you live with anxiety over things in your life that honestly you have no control of. So here's my question for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, what if you committed just committed those things to God. What if, and I won't even ask you to commit forever, but what if just the month of December, you said, hey, as those anxious thoughts come to my mind, as the temptation to worry comes to my mind, I'm going to remind myself that God is in control and I can trust him. I'm going to remind myself of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And it might be a daily thing you'll have to do. It might be an hourly thing you'll have to do, but you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to replace that worry, that anxiousness, that trying to micromanage life. I'm going to replace that with the thought that God is sovereign and he can be trusted. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you would say, Chris, I've I've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I've never maybe understood everything. I've never totally bought into the whole Jesus thing. And, and maybe you're waiting to understand everything. Maybe you're, you're waiting to have every answer. But here's the thing you're never going to understand everything, you're never going to have every answer. Because this relationship is just like your other relationships, it's based on trust. And so I'm here to tell you that if you don't, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that Jesus is inviting you today to follow him, to trust him, to start a relationship with him. He wants to transform you from the inside out. He wants to be the source of peace and courage inside of you, even when you're going through a tough time. You say, Chris, how do I do that? How do I start a relationship with Jesus? It's simple. Are you willing to just right now in the quietness of this room or those watching online, are you willing to admit to God in this moment that you're sinful, that you've disobeyed him, that you've done things your own way. Just tell him right now, just quietness of your heart. Just say, God, I I admit to you, I've sinned. I admit to you, I've done things my way. I admit that. And then just tell God, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the dead for me. Just tell them. And then just invite. God, would you just come into my life? Would you transform me? I want to be transformed today. I want a home in heaven when this life is over. Come into my life and save me. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, this morning I made the decision to follow Jesus. We would love to know about that. We'd love to celebrate with you. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and there's a, just a decision card you can fill out and we'll, we'll give you a call this week. We won't bug you just to see if you have any questions, see if we can be a help to you in any way. If you're here this morning, right in front of you, there's a card that says decision on it. You can take that out and during this last song, you could fill that card out. Drop it in the offering basket on your way out or take it to the Next Steps booth. And we would, again, just love this week, not bug you, but just reach out to you and just find out if you have any questions about your new relationship with Jesus and and just be a help to you in any way we can. Lord, I thank you that though we don't always understand, though we don't always like what's going on in our life, we have a God who we can trust. And we have a God that not only we can trust, but we know loves us unconditionally and has our best in mind every day. Lord, help us to trust you in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.